God is good today. I want to see God's people blessed. I want to see them nourished in the Word of God. I want to see people that have lost the flame of the first love have it rekindled. And I want to see people that have never fallen in love with Jesus have it kindled. I used to only preach about rekindling the first love, assuming that everybody at one time experienced the first love. But there are so many shallow experiences called born again and called salvation today. And there's so many tares among the wheat that have never truly gotten saved, but they've joined the church, been baptized in water, and been told that they are saved. There's no fruit to indicate that there's a change, but they have been told that they are saved. And they're glad to hear it, because that means I can, without any changes in my life, I can go to heaven on grace and faith, alone, without repenting of any sin, without being born of the Holy Spirit, without spiritual regeneration. If any man be in Christ, he's been baptized in water, he's recited a creed or accepted a dogma. No, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. It doesn't mean you can't sin. You can if you choose to. But you don't have a bent toward it. And you cannot, you can let it not reign anymore in your mortal body to fulfill it in the lust thereof. Hallelujah. So we're, we're looking for that mighty, true, authentic revival. Not just trying to stimulate people to come into a building and, uh, and there's people that are not even stimulated to be here. This is our fifth week and haven't been one time. So we're finding out uh, where the commitment is and where the core is that we're looking for. And uh, it's evident. And, and somebody said, well, this excuse and that excuse. And I thought, boy, I can just hear, I can hear them telling Jesus when he said, come and follow me. Well, I got to go bury my daddy. There was a guy like, you know, he didn't accept it. Sounded harsh, but he knew it was just a, a, an excuse. They didn't love their daddy, didn't care about their daddy. They just excusing themselves from following him. He said, "Let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. I've called you to follow me." And by the way, it was a, an excuse used in that day by people who wanted to not do something. They probably used it four or five different times and occasions. Their daddy was either long time dead or alive and well. I had a foreman when I was bivocational. I worked for Tampa Electric. When I came to the church, I was still on a line crew, equipment operator for Tampa Electric. And uh, we, we had a foreman who loved to go hunting in North Georgia uh, during deer season. And so he went in when deer season come, and he asked for time off. He said, my dad is having his appendix out. It ruptured, and he's got to have it out immediately, and I have to have time to go and be with my family. Don't know if he's going to pull through or not. And they gave him a week off, and he went deer hunting. The next year when deer season came up, he forgot the excuse he used to get off the previous deer season. And he went in and said, I've got to have a week off, my dad has a ruptured appendix, and I have to go be there. They don't know if he's going to pull through. And the man in charge of our Tampa Electric Yard looked across the desk at him 
because there's another man in there and heard the conversation and said, just how many appendixes does your dad have? And he said, if you want to go deer hunting uh, and uh, leave your job, that's fine. If you want to quit your job and just deer hunt, that's fine. We don't want to keep you from deer hunting. But if you want to work here, you better be here Monday morning. Don't tell me no more lies. Uh, so anyway, that, all those excuses didn't hold any water. And by the way, if you want to leave your mate, you can find an excuse to do it. Because your mate isn't perfect and never will be. Amen. If you want to leave a church, you can leave it. You'll find an excuse when your heart's not there anymore. I mean, everybody's done that and continues to do that. I read in Reader's Digest, and I thought that might have well have been a, a pastor's periodical. It, it was so fitting. Because they, they, a, a steamer passing by an island that wasn't on the map saw an island with three huts. And they said, somebody has been shipwrecked, and they're on that island. They built those huts out of the palm leaves of, of a, two or three trees that were there. But there were three real good huts made out of the palm fronds. And so they sent a boat ashore to pick up whoever was there. And sure enough, there was a guy there with a long beard, scraggly guy, skinny, had been eating fish and trapping seagulls when they come to rest and, and cooking them and, and, and drinking trapping rainwater, been there for a long time. So the guy was inquisitive, how did you survive? And then he asked him, he said, what are those, those three huts? He said, well, I live in this one. He said, oh, well, that's, that's nice. He said, what are the two other huts? He said, well, that one right over there is where I go to church. He said, well, what is the other hut for? He said, that's where I used to go to church. Honey, people migrate. You are unusual people to stay with us this long. Because Christians migrate, particularly in the Pentecostal realm. They migrate here and there and everywhere. And they have an excuse. Everyone has an excuse. Somebody failed them. Something didn't go somebody's way. Uh, Jesus had trouble getting people to follow him, and he was perfect. So it's, I'm not amazed that we have problem keeping people uh, supporting the ministry and receiving from it. We want to bless everybody, but we can only bless the people who come. And we had some of your outfit. Sonia, give us a, oh, man, she said, I wish you were closer. She came to visit us, and she ate the Word of God that morning. She just eat it up. Praise God. And I thought, boy, this is good. It's good to hear somebody that is satisfied with the ministry. Well, I, I'm rambling. Bear with me. Bear with me. God has been moving because He wants to clear the way for blessing. He wants to clear the way. I, I, I got a message here, and we got to have communion in just a moment. I, I'm just going to, going to bring you things from the heart and continue a theme that God has already presented. How many, how many does it ring? Forgiveness rings a bell now. How vitally important it is to clearing the way for answered prayer. If prayers are not answered, we think it's 
one of two reasons. It's either it, it, it's, it's either a faith issue. If I just had the faith, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, that is absolutely true. But that's not dealing with the issues of the heart. God does require faith. They that come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him out. That's people that commit themselves to seek Him till the answer comes, not people that pray and become impatient with God. And that brings us to the second thing that people generally think the reason for answered prayer, unanswered prayer is, and that is that, and they won't say it, but in attitude and in activity, they indicate it. God must be unfaithful. I remember when my dad's faith began to shake and to waver, uh, he, I had to, I had to actually school him. He said, Bobby, I've learned more since you've been my caregiver than I learned in all the years that I went and played my fiddle at church. Because if you're just going to play your fiddle at church and you go to a church that doesn't take time to teach you biblical principles, you don't learn them. You get a blessing on Sunday. You are a blessing with your ministry, but you personally do not grow by understanding biblical principles. And then when prayers are not answered, it's easy to, to, it's easy for the preacher to say it's your lack of faith without dealing with the deeper issues of the heart. Let me tell you something about the heart that the Bible said. The heart of man. How many people are human beings do we have here? I'm not talking about this muscle that beats and circulates your blood. I'm talking about deep in your spirit, man. Listen to me carefully. Un until you are saved, but even after you're saved, there's a part of you that still has flesh influence. And Paul said that argument's going to go on as long as we're in this body and in this fallen world. That battle is going to occur in Romans chapter 7. Now, he's a born-again man, but he's trying to do it without the Holy Spirit and without the grace of God and without the empowerment that Jesus gives. He's trying to just keep the law because he wants to be right with God. And he said, when I would do good, something shows up. Evil shows up. He said, to know to do good, I got that. I get that. How to carry that out, I find not. I don't find in my religious flesh the ability to keep the law. He thought he was doing really good until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. But when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he realized. He said, you know, the law concerning the law. Oh, what a braggart. What a religious braggart he became before he became the humble man of grace, dependent man of... Say that with me, the humble, grace-dependent man of God. Wouldn't it be great to see some people that have such powerful anointings and revelation still be humble, grace-dependent men of Wasn't he grace-dependent? Absolutely. Wasn't he humble? Not that we're sufficient as of anything of ourselves, for our sufficiency is of the Lord. Why look at us? Why, why, why put us? It's, Paul is nothing. Apollos is nothing. 
It's Christ. It's one plant. It's one waters. God gives the increase. If I'm effective in my ministry, it's because of God's Spirit moving. I'm not taking credit for that. Without Him, I'm nothing and less than nothing. The things I once counted gain. And you want to hear what he counted gain? It was his religious credentials. Part of the Sanhedrin, the governing highest order of religious body. (laughs) And Paul said, if I have a reason to boast religiously, if any man has a reason to boast, I more. I'm a Jew of the Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised the eighth day according to the law. And since we're talking about the law, he lied. He had deceived himself religiously. Concerning the law, I am blameless. You know what it would mean for you to be blameless? To put your life over against the Ten Commandments? You would have to keep every one of them perfectly. Including the first one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With most of your heart. No, with all of your heart. All of your mind. All of your soul. All of your strength. What? That's number one. And the Apostle Paul found out that if you offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. Best way I know to explain that in a practical way, if my car breaks down and Sean has a chain, he probably won't hook it up to that truck. Yeah, he would. He'd hook it up. Terry won't hook it up to his, I'll bet you. Anyway, some you would. And then you'd have me pay for getting it painted when you scratch it. Okay, anyway. No, he would. He would. He's a gracious man. I wouldn't, but he would. Amen. <laughs> Had a truck like that, I wouldn't let nobody haul anything in it. You do have a truck out there, right? New one. Okay, i just check and see if I was getting my leadings right. If he hooked a 10-link chain to my car, and one of those chain links was weak, it wouldn't matter which one it was that broke. The moment one link breaks, all it takes is one link broken, and I'm separated. He can't pull me anymore. The Ten Commandments are like a chain. He that offends in one point is guilty of the whole law. It doesn't mean, well, you know, uh, it doesn't mean there's not different levels of ramifications to sin. It says thou shalt not murder. Uh, well, I've already not loved God with all my heart. I might wish to go kill my enemy. No, it doesn't work that way. In fact, Paul found out that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to God. Because there was a religious crowd just like Paul from the same religious background that thought that that they had the right to kill somebody else and stone them to death in the name of the Lord. And in the Old Covenant, there were times when that occurred. But in the New Covenant, Jesus said that's not going to be happening anymore. You don't qualify to judge. And why did it, why was these things allowed anyway in the old covenant? You could put your wife away if you didn't like her anymore. You could go to the priest and get a bill of divorcement 
You didn't even have to go. Used to, you had to go through divorce court and a judge. You had to convince a judge because it was even sacred without the church. Now it's not even sacred within the church. How many want a marriage that works? You'd like to have one that God put together and, and glued it tight. Hallelujah. We're getting ready to celebrate 55 years. I keep saying that. I'm not bragging. I'm telling you there's victory in Jesus, but it takes two people. Two people. Two people for that victory to be brought to you. One person can't be committed and the other not committed and have God's blessing and God to stand in your corner. And so there's things that we cannot help. But we're living in a day when it's so important to understand these issues of the heart that keep God from moving as freely as He wants to. And people have come to me, and I'm so proud of you, People have come to me and told me the issues they were having in their heart after this teaching began. And I know this is tough on the flesh. But if we're supposed to crucify the flesh, I want to give you some sharp nails. Can you say, man? Because if you don't have sharp nails, you're not going to do it. You're going to want your way instead of His will, and you will bypass these issues of the heart and go to a faith seminar. So that you can just build your faith strong enough as if God is going to respond to your faith no matter the condition of your heart. And that's not how it works. You can't bypass the issues of the heart. And the reason altars are empty and revivals tarry. Required reading for Lee College, the Church of God Bible College, was Leonard Ravenhill's book, Why Revivals Tarry. And there's a reason for the lack of revival. There's the reason. Oh, by the way, and forget the world out there for a while. Judgment doesn't begin out there. Not where it starts. It's not, doesn't start in Vegas. It doesn't start in a brothel somewhere. It doesn't start out in the world system. It starts where the light is. It starts where the word is. People want to be people of the word. The more word you get, the more responsible you are. And that doesn't mean don't get it. Because the less word you get, the more vulnerable you are to the devil. Don't be afraid to become accountable. Don't be afraid to become responsible as a Christian. See, what constitutes sin is to know to do good and choose not to do it. But if you know to do good, but you don't find how to do good because of your weak flesh, Paul said, I've got an answer for you. I've been where you are. And I know how to have victory even in that condition. Romans 7 is a man under the law trying to keep the law. And he said it can't be done and I can't do it. And this is the guy that said concerning the law I'm blameless. But when he met Jesus and he compared his righteousness to the required righteousness of God, he fell so far short. And then he made the statement after all of those statements, the thing I once counted gain. And he had just enumerated it. He said, I count it as but dung. Does anyone know what that means in the Greek? Same thing it means in English. Can you say amen? Amen. I count it as what? I count all of those religious credentials as but dung that I might win and know Jesus Christ. Listen to the dilemma, the man under the law. He's trying to keep it. 
He said he kept it because all the people he was affiliating with assumed that they were above reproach and they needed no repentance. One of them went up to the temple to pray with a publican. Not a Republican. Okay. (laughs) Just so we don't misinterpret here. A publican. You know what a publican was? It was a Jew that was collecting taxes for Caesar because Rome was in control. And you know how they got him to really overcharge his own people? They got, yeah, I said Republican. I know. I'm just clarifying. We're all Republicans here, right? But we're not publicans. We're Republicans. We were publicans and we've been rejuvenated and regenerated. Sanctified Republicans. No, no. No, no, no. I don't know what I'd do without Brother Hobbs. I'd like to, I'd like to find out, but anyway, I, pro- no, I love you. I love you. You know I love you, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. You see, if we can get this, if we can get our heart right and get our heart cleansed. Brother, remember, you're preaching the same old thing. You know why? Because God wants to give you and me a breakthrough in answered prayer. God wants a a pathway that is not cluttered. He doesn't want any barriers to blessings in your life. How many don't want any barriers to blessings? I'm not talking about the devil here. Listen, if God is for us, that becomes the supreme issue of our faith and our prayer life. If God can't be for you, He can't bless you because of His own integrity. If His Word has declared something has to be settled before He can answer, then we need to get it settled. First, we need to know what it is in the way. We need to identify it. We need to own it if it's in our life. Instead of always trying to put on that front that Paul had out before he really got real and right with God. In Romans 7, when I I find a law, I can't break it. There's a law operating in my own members. When I would do good, evil presents itself. The flesh is intrinsically evil. That's why the only solution is death to the flesh. Every time you want to hit somebody and don't, you crucify the flesh. Every time you rejoice in someone else's trouble because you are vengeful in your heart. Vengeful in your heart. The only reason I should rejoice when somebody who's hurt me is hurting is because I still have unforgiveness and I'm vengeful in my heart. And I've got to own that and be honest about that. The heart of man, the unregenerate fleshly heart of man is, listen, desperately wicked. It's, you can't reform it. It has to be transformed because it cannot be reformed. Can you say amen? I said it has to be. And our mind has to be renewed even after our heart is transformed. Be you transformed just by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit? No. Then the mind has to begin to cooperate with your reborn spirit. So, it, and how is the mind renewed? It's happening right now. 
It's exposing it to the Word of God and the things of the Spirit of God. Can you say, man, to be carnally minded is always death. But to be spiritually minded, it's life and it's peace. Can you say, man, hallelujah. Oh, to be transparent and sincere before the Lord. Paul wrote that you might be sincere. And the word, if there's ever phonies playing roles, it is in congregations on Sunday morning. In every church, you say, where are the phonies here? I'm not looking at anyone. Some, some people were already saying, I pray there's not a phony in here. Because if you're a phony, if you're not authentic, if you're not real, if you're not sincere, and the word sincere is the word in the Greek that meant sun-tested. They understood that word. We don't get that. They un- Oh, it's not just the heat of the sun. We, we melt under the heat. No, what happened was this, and it was common. People would bring stones to build a house or anything that needed to be built. They would bring stones from a quarry that were cracked. They would fill the crack with candle wax. And then they would whitewash. Remember Jesus calling some religious people whited sepulchers. You clean up the outside, but where? Where's he looking? He's not looking at that outward projection or presentation. He's looking right inside. Man looks at the outside. God never looks at the outside. Whatever we present to him religiously, he looks right past it. Whatever we present to him in our worship, he looks right past it. Amen. No matter how loud we sing, there are some people that flip that emotion on in their music like flipping on a switch. Oh, you should hear them sing. Amen. God isn't even listening if He doesn't see true worship in the heart. Because they that worship Him, there's an imperative. They must worship Him loudly and with zest and with emotion and with enthusiasm. It takes more than emotion and enthusiasm to worship a holy God and have that worship accepted. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. Where shall we worship the woman at the well? The first thing she wanted to do to show her gratitude was worship God. Where shall we worship? In the holy city or in that holy mountain? He said the time has now come that you can't worship Him acceptably in the holy mountain. You can't worship Him in the holy city. Friend, if you can't worship God in God's house this morning, you couldn't worship Him standing at the sepulcher in Jerusalem. You couldn't worship Him standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in Jerusalem. Can you say, man, it's not holy places, it's a holy person. That we worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know there's people singing in choirs that don't love God. But they love to sing with other people. Put on the cloistered robe. You know there's people standing in the pulpit that even haven't even been born again, but they've been to Bible college and chose a vocation. be amazed how many preachers had to get saved after they had a pulpit and a church and how many preachers still need to get saved because preaching has nothing to do with whether you're saved or not
You think, well, if somebody can preach, they must be saved. We knew a dear Christian lady. She had a minor bird, and I've told you this before. Minor birds are better than parrots. Minor birds can talk. They can mimic you to the letter. And it's not that high-pitched bird voice. They'll mimic your voice. Minor birds, blackbird, big old bees sitting there. I had a friend had one. Had it on the back porch. They had two dogs. They fed them every day at 5 o'clock. The bird liked to call him at 3 in the afternoon when he just wanted to see something happen. They named their dogs Rough and Ready after cartoon characters. Big old dogs. And he would holler on the back porch, Yeah, Rough! In the voice of the man that called them when he got home from work to feed them. Yeah, Rough! Here, ready! Here, Rough! Here, ready! The wife would think her husband was home early and go out there and see the dogs running supper time. But it was the bird mimicking. I went to that house to use a phone one time. A car broke down before we got married. It broke time after marriage too, but this was before. And it, my car's, you know, $600 for first 20 years of our marriage were all about all we ever paid for a vehicle it had you know 200,000 150,000 miles and may pop tires and and uh, but anyway anyway that's a long story thank god i got a car to get home in today that hopefully i will make it god has been good to me god has been gracious but she had a minor bird and she prayed and she prayed in tongues she's full of gospel and the bird learned how to speak in tongues, but had never spoken in tongues in front of her. But he knew her voice, and he knew the tongues that she prayed in and praised God in. Particular dialogue of tongues. And so she had a prayer meeting. Had four women come over to pray with her. And they all began to praise God in other tongues at the end of the prayer meeting as the Holy Spirit came in the room. And that minor bird begin to let loose in tongue. You think he had the Holy Ghost? No. Was he saved? No. Could he mimic what he had heard over and over? Yes. And that's why without love to qualify, and the love, oh, not, not this religious brand, but the love of God shed abroad in our heart by whom? The Holy Ghost. It's called a product of fruit of what? Of our religious commitment to one another. No, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it goes beyond a religious commitment. It establishes a devoted relationship. How, how many know a devoted relationship is way stronger than a simple religious commitment? Giving a mental commitment. I hear... And I, sometimes I receive it and sometimes I don't. And you should be the same way. I'm not being mean. But I hear many times, we love you. Tell your wife we love her. And I thought, there's no point in me telling her that. There's no point. Love covers a multitude of sin. Divine love does. Your love don't go that far. See, the flesh can't produce this. Only the Spirit as we're yielding to the Holy Spirit. And without love, what do tongues become? 
no more effective than that minor bird. Though we are saved and though the Holy Spirit has come to live within us. Without love, I'm nothing. Nada. There was a Spanish lady in front of me at a store. Uh, this Christian bookstore in, in Lakeland. And she was, <laughs> she, she said uh, something about something. And she was there. She's a grandma. And, you know, I always think of grandmas as some older lady. But I'm married to a great-grandmother, so <laughs> grandmas are not all that old anymore. I started to say she's this little old lady. But then my wife would kill me when we get home. Anyway, she's a sweet little old lady. I'm glad for And she doesn't look like a great-great-grandma, right? She's just a great-grandma. I'm still, I'm still struggling with Grandpa, and I'm a great, I'm a great grandfather. If I live long enough to become a great great grandfather, I ain't gonna tell nobody. Amen. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. Are you a grandfather? No, I'm a great grandfather. In fact, I'm a great great grandfather. I don't think I'm gonna be here for great great. I really. You, you, how long would I? Well, I'm going to be here for his 100th birthday because I promised I would, I would pray a blessing prayer. God is good. It's only 20 more years. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Hallelujah. Amen. The reason I want you to smile a little bit because this gets heavy and it gets personal. That bird spoke in tongues and they all stopped. And they thought some angelic, supernatural occurrence was occurring. And the lady that owned the bird heard where it was coming from. A room just off the room they were praying in. And she peeked around. And for the first time, that minor bird had mimicked her dialogue in terms. Oh, I know it's disrespectful. I know all of that, but it's a bird. The bird don't know no better. But there are people that never deal with the issues of their heart. And they think because they can still speak in an unknown tongue, they don't have to. So you would never, ever, ever see them in an altar confessing a sin. You would never see them change anything in their life. Because as long as I'm still spiritual, and we need to define spiritual. Spiritual is not anything to do with the operation of spiritual gifts. Because the church at Corinth had all the gifts in operation. The word of knowledge was in operation. Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation was in operation. But the fruit of the Spirit was not maturing. They didn't have any sun, S-O-N, ripened fruit in their life. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? What He always produces in the life of a believer. What He's working toward this morning. The character and nature of Jesus reproduced in us. If it's your religious brand of love, it will not cover a multitude of sins. It will see and magnify the faults in everybody else. If it's the God kind of love, it will, oh, I love that song. He looked beyond my faults. 
and saw my need. David said, if you marked iniquity, if you wanted to nail us, Lord, if your love and grace didn't want to help us and deliver us from our own foolishness, our own folly, our own sin, if we confess it, if you marked iniquity, who could stand? No one could. No one could. David said, I sure couldn't. And no one else can. And Paul discovered that in the New Covenant. I can't stand when I would do good, evil presents itself. When I would do good, oh, friend of mine. And there are people that have come to me and confessed personal things that they struggle with. And I did not judge them and say, you're not spiritual. I qualify them. There's a spiritual person. There's someone who wants to be more like Jesus. There's somebody that wants to be sincere. Because what would happen when they put the wax in the cracks and whitewashed it? It was fine. They never used those stones in the summer. They always used those stones in the chill of winter. Because when the hot summer sun came out in the Middle East... They had got their money, and they were long gone. But that sun melted the wax. And the wax poured past the whitewash out of the cracks. And I'm going to tell you what's happening today. I feel a prophetic anointing. I'm not a prophet nor the son of the prophet. But from time to time, I feel a prophetic anointing, and I feel it right now. The sun of persecution the sun of temptation, the sun of pressure, back pressure against our forward walk with Christ is coming and it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher and all of the pretense and all of the projected uh, uh, projected religiosity it's bringing out the reality amen if it's not real if it's not authentic listen what's going to happen in the la- how many believe we're in the last days How many would agree with me we're in the last of the last days? We're in that situation where Jesus said it's even at the doors. Can you say, man, the coming of the Lord is so near. And what is going to happen? What is going to happen before the Antichrist comes on the scene and before Jesus comes for His church? I'm not talking about chronological order. I'm talking about these events that are about to occur. What is going to happen that day? That day, that day, when all of this is going to occur, that day shall not come until there is a falling away first. You'd be amazed how many people go to church because they may need prayer, they may need a miracle, they want to keep their foot in the door with God, but they don't love Him, they have no desire to serve Him. Amen. And by the way, if they won't serve and love Him, you can forget them loving you and helping you. I've had people come to me and find fault with us and and those very same people, I remember standing with one person and praying and counseling because they were accusing God. And I thought, if you're going to keep accusing God, I'm never going to please you. He's perfect and He can't please you. I'm imperfect and I won't please you. God called me one time, Brother Hobbs. He told me of three churches he'd been to and said he found fault in every one of them. 
And the three churches were three of the best churches I knew of in the city of Tampa at the time. With good men of God behind the pulpit. And he said, I'm considering to come into your church Sunday. And I thought after he'd said all that, I thought, <laughs> I wasn't mean, but I was honest. I said, sir, let me tell you something about our church. Our church isn't perfect. We are under construction. But God does love us, and He hadn't given up on us, and He's still working on us. But if you're looking for the perfect church, and I, I thought maybe it would humble Him, you know. Yeah, I told Him. I said, there's no point in, in you coming because we can't, we can't produce that. And He said, well, thank you for being honest with me, and He never showed up. You know what I wanted to tell him and didn't? See, I crucified my flesh. I thought if you ever find, I thought it though, and I had to repent of that. Now I'll have to do it again when I tell you what I thought. I said, if you have, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. Because you'll ruin it. <laughs> With that attitude. Sun tested. That testing is here. And there's a positive side to it. Everything, without exception, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You're waiting for the positive? So that that which cannot be shaken might remain. After the shaking is over and the the, the people who are tares among the wheat, the people, listen, they're going to turn back when the pressure is on. If it costs something. Right now there's a, there's a misinterpretation of the gospel. It's a get rich gospel. It's to get a bigger car and a bigger house and to live so comfortably in this world. They don't even talk about heaven or him much anymore. Amen. But the people following that when the pressure is brought to bear and the pressure is being brought to bear. Amen. It's not going to be popular many days forward to be a Christian. It's going to be painful to be a Christian. Persecution is coming to the church, but it's going to produce a purity in the church. And the purity in the church is going to allow a mighty move of the Holy Spirit just before Jesus comes as He sanctifies unto Himself a holy bride. Can you say amen? Woo! Hallelujah! 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 And the people who are phony are going to throw in the towel. If I can't get rich, if I can't live in perfect health, if I can't get all of these worldly things, why should I follow Jesus? That very misconstrued gospel that is not the gospel is sweeping Africa. One evangelist recently took an offering and said God is going to make ten millionaires somewhere in this audience in one of the poorest nations in the world. And people gave what little they had hoping to become a millionaire like he was. Flying a plane like his, driving a Bentley like his, living a compound like his. A journalist for Christianity Today went in afterwards and 
quizzed and not trying to hurt anybody. Just wanted to know who. Because if you're going to make a statement like that and say it's God to get people to give, you, you need some evidence that it, has, it happened, that you're speaking for God. And that's not God's Word. Couldn't be speaking for God. It's appealing to the flesh. In Jesus' day, to follow Him meant to leave your business. In Jesus' day, to follow Him meant to take up your cross. In Jesus' day, to follow Him meant you may have to put your liberty on the line. To, to follow Him in that day, you may have to put your life on the line. Can you say amen? Amen? Has the, has, has the standard for discipleship changed for the 21st century modernist church? No, it has not. It doesn't start with self-indulgence. It starts with self-denial. If any man will be my disciple, let him what? Deny himself. Because if you don't start with that, you can't even go to the second stage of true discipleship. If you don't deny yourself, honey, you ain't taking up no cross. You're not going to sacrifice anything if self is still looking to be indulged. So we bypass the taking up the cross and the self-denial, and we go straight to self-indulgence. And we interpret every scripture through the lens of self-indulgence. And we live an opulent. I believe preachers ought to live a good life. They're worthy of double honor. And the word in the Greek is honorarium. But opulence, that's what is turning the world off. They know greed when they see it. They know avarice when they see it. And that's why when I was bivocational coming down the steps to the time clock and, and heard a guy inviting another guy to church, and I love to hear a conversation like that. And the guy's excuse was, why should I come? All they want is somebody else to give them some money. That's all church is about. That was his excuse. And he looked up, and I was halfway down the steps to the time clock. And he said, what about that guy? What about that guy? What about that guy? And he said, well, he's different. He's different. Friend of mine, I want to stay different. Can you say, man, because I want the world to know that I'm serving the Lord for the right reason. He went to the cross. He took my place. He took my punishment. He took my pain. He stubbornly loved me while I was running from Him. He saved my soul. He brought me to an end of myself where I had to make a decision, and I chose Him. Thank God for His conviction today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He wants the way cleared. I've got to finish this as quick as I can. There is a Scripture at the end of Psalm 50. Last two verses. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that orders his conversation. This is a biblical principle. It's not just about praise. Listen to it. And to him that orders his conversation aright. It's not just what we're saying. This word conversation is behavior. It's what the heart is producing. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it are the what? The issues of life. He that orders his conversation aright 
And in that case, this principle was operating in the area of offering praise from the heart out of gratitude. The whole psalm is about gratitude. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you why are we giving and you're not blessing. Why are we fasting and you're not seeing? And he's telling them why. Amen. You're not offering it with thanksgiving. Amen. And gratitude in your... See, God's looking past His own prescribed offerings and saying, but if it doesn't come with the right heart attitude and the right behavior, I can't bless it. I won't bless it. And it's not because I'm unfaithful. It's because you are. Keep your heart with all diligence to he that orders his conversation aright. Well, I'm just going to start praising him. No, no, this is a matter of getting the heart right. One translation of the Hebrew says, He that does this from his heart opens the door for God's deliverance to come. King James said, I'll show him my salvation. This is before salvation by grace and by the cross. This is about God's delivering power. God's deliverance won't come until it, what comes out of us is coming from that heart. Amen. Do you see why prayers are hindered? If you don't forgive men, I won't forgive you. And there are people saying, I'll never do that. I don't need to apologize and I don't need to forgive. I don't, I don't go there. Sometimes we don't go there because we don't want the pain of our own failures. I'm going to tell you something. God loves you in spite of your failure, but He can't help you until you confess the failure. If you bring your gift to the altar, Jesus said, come on, matters of the heart. Come on, all this religiosity, tongues without love is what? Divine agape love, what is it? Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. Get my body to be burned. I can become a martyr for the cause. But if I'm not doing it for Christ and people, I'm nothing. I've just died out there on the field somewhere. But I'm nothing without love. I'm nothing. And I'm not talking about your capacity to love. I'm talking about His capacity to love through us. The love of God only comes one way. It's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's why love is the first and foremost foundational fundamental fruit of the Spirit. It is the number one witness to the world. It is the number one evangelistic tool. It's the number one testimony to the world. And it is hard to find in congregation. Can I have a better amen? Do you know that's true? It's hard to find. It's hard to find a friend. Because a friend, biblically defined, loveth at all times. You fail them, they don't quit you. Love is not puffed up. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not easily offended. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Sometimes you have to walk on eggs. People don't love you. They don't love God. And they're ready to leave both of you. And they do. And you have to let them go. You don't want to let them go. But you have to let them go. It's one of the most misused words in the Christian community. It's cliched. 
It's used so often without any substance. I love you, brother. What? Well, what if you fail me? Is the kind of love I'm talking about going to cover that? There is a love. It's not your religious brand. It's not my religious brand. But there is a love that covers how many sins? Faults and sins? A multitude. Can you say man? I meet with pastors that we open up to one another and ask for prayer for our weaknesses. We have weaknesses? Oh, by the way, the big shot pastors never meet with anybody. Big shot pastors don't want anybody to know they're like everybody else. They have needs, and God's still working on them. Amen? But we all have. But pastors of big churches, you can't get them to come down and meet with another pastor and open up and be the man. The man with a need from time to time. Because if anybody perceives me as not being this great one of faith and power, Paul said, I never want to be perceived that way. All the gifts that operated through him, the revelations he had, he said, we're not sufficient as of anything of ourselves, but our only sufficiency is of God. And then he said, whatever I am, whatever fruit and whatever thing happens in my life, by the grace, only the grace, only the grace, by the grace of God, I am whatever I have become. And when God took him to third heaven, he wouldn't even take credit that it was him. He said, I knew a man. <laughs> Whether in the body or out, I know not, but such a one was caught up into third heaven. When one thing happened after that experience, he said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> I mean, no, it would have to be better than here. Say it with me, it would have to be better than down here. Amen. The, God, God actually called uh, Sister Christello's mother home, and we were, we were there with her and prayed with her. And, and when I laid hands on her, I knew it was her time to go be with him. She was going to lay that armor down. She had finished her course. And when you got a buddy for a mama like Sister Christella, she said, I was so proud of her because she said, I, I was selfish. I didn't want to let her go. And I told him in the room, I don't want to let anybody go. Amen. That I love and close to. I want to hold on to him. Death is not, death is not part of, of our human DNA. It, it entered because of sin. It wasn't God's idea. It's called the last enemy that's going to be destroyed. But thank God, death doesn't conquer us. When the time comes, amen, there's victory in the face of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I thank God for the hope we have in Jesus today. And we celebrate in Jesus Christ today. If I order my conversation aright, get my heart really right before God and my behavior and my heart are matching truly. I'm not projecting something in my behavior that isn't occurring in my heart. I'm not fronting. Can I say that? I'm not fronting like the majority of the Christian. Listen, if we got our hearts right, altars would be used in churches by Christians getting right with God. They wouldn't just be for sinners off the street. But they're not used. We evolved into some because we can speak in tongues and we have a revelation and we have an anointing and an appointing that we never need to check our own hearts. David said, search me. I don't want to trust myself 
any further. I trusted in myself. And I sinned against you. And I sinned against one of the best, most loyal, patriotic men in my army. I sinned against his wife. I sinned against... I sinned, I sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. Oh, Brother Venable, there you go using that three-letter word in church. That three-letter word. There are pastors today dropping four-letter words and nobody says anything, but he better not use the three-letter word. That's what will get him in trouble. And if we say as the Christian community we have no sin, We lie and do not the truth. We're disingenuous and we're dishonest. But if we, and here's what the Holy Spirit's challenge is to the church world today. If we confess our sin. Omission and commission. Attitude and activity. If you bring your gift to the altar, you want to see how, why we need to get real with God? And you know your brother has all. You know you've done your brother wrong. You know it in your heart of hearts. You don't want to face it because you feel so bad about yourself already. You don't want to feel worse about yourself. Listen, God don't want you to feel bad at all about yourself. He wants you to get that guilt off of you. That weight off of you. That shame off of you. He wants you to clear the way for Him to move again in your life. Hallelujah. So go. First go and do what? Be reconciled with your brother. If I've hurt you, Sean, I'm sorry. I asked your forgiveness. I've already asked God's, but God said that ain't enough. Amen. I can still hold on to some pride and do my praying in private, but I've got to go publicly and say I was wrong. And I am sorry. And will you forgive me? And if you don't, then it's back on you. Can you say, man, you can't leave your gift till you do. The onus is onus. That's a legal term for culpability and responsibility. Onus. Yeah, it's, it's true. I'm not kidding. And the onus is onus. Don't leave your gift until you go first. Be reconciled to your brother. He said these hard attitudes have to be settled because men see you coming forward doing all these religious things, even sacrificially. But I'm looking at your heart that is harboring the unforgiveness and the grudge and the pride that says, if I ask somebody for forgiveness, I'm admitting I was wrong. Well, big, hairy deal. If you're wrong, you're wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know what to do when you're wrong? Get right! You know how to get right? If we confess our sin to Him first. He's faithful and He's just justified in forgiveness because He's basing our forgiveness on the forgiveness that was bought for us at Calvary through the blood of Jesus. And if God for Jesus' sake and only for Jesus' sake has forgiven you, so ought you to forgive one another. You owe it to your enemy. God says... Don't offer your gift. First, be reconciled to your brother. If you've done somebody wrong, ask forgiveness. I have asked forgiveness for not what I said, but the attitude of anger and upsetness with which I said it. Is that okay to do that? Will you let God look at you? Will you let Him look deep?
He wants to clear the way. He wants you to be able to have a peaceful night's sleep. He wants you to have health in your mind and your body. He wants you to have health in your spirit. And if you haven't, if somebody has wronged you, how many times? Peter said, you're stretching me, Lord. How many times am I supposed to do this? Forgive my enemy. How many times do I have to do it before I say it's enough? No more. And he thought he was going to stretch God's love because he didn't have it yet operating in him as a fruit of the Spirit. Seven times? That's your perfect number. That's complete. I'm done with you. I've had it with you. That's it with you. I do not forgive you and I'm justified. Seven times! And Jesus didn't say, yay, but 490 times. No, He said, yay, and 70 times seven. All this is perfection. The number for perfection, completeness. It means to infinity and beyond. Oh, you didn't hear me. Come on, Bruce Lightyear. I know you know who he is. To inf- <laughs> it doesn't mean 490 because some people would be counting. <sighs> Is 70 times 7, 490? It is. Mathematician is in here confirming the Word. Amen. 400, 490, 475. Lord have mercy. I'll be glad when I get the next 25 forgiveness because I have had it with Him. 487. Oh, I'm almost there and I ain't going to take it no more. Can you say, man, I have had it with him. Amen. 491. Oh my goodness. I'm almost there. Oh man, I'll be so glad to hit the 490. 489. Oh, I can't wait to get to church Sunday. I'm going to be the first one in the altar and say, 490! I forgive! Oh, hallelujah! I can walk out of here and be as bitter as I want to be. No. He used a term that we could get our head around to say, there is no limit to God's forgiveness. And there can't be a limit to yours. Because if you limit it, you limit Him. I can't afford to limit God. Am I preaching something that congregations need? Not just us here, but the church world and the church at large. And deacons and pastors and preachers and prophets and prophetesses and all of those other titled people are not entitled because of their title to not humbly serve and worship the true and living God according to His Word. Because every time people hear I watch over my Word to perform it, they think of healing and blessings and deliverances, and that's true. But it's also the things that He said He would not forgive. You say, but you don't know how much I gave to the church. You don't know how many people I won to Jesus. I don't care how many people. He's not looking at that. He's looking at why you won them. Because you loved them and you didn't want them to go to hell and your heart was breaking for them or or because you wanted to say, look what our ministry has accomplished. 
See, when we get to heaven, there's a judgment seat. It doesn't determine whether you get to heaven or not because it takes place in heaven. And He's not going to kick anybody out of heaven. So it's not about going to heaven. Because if you don't qualify to get there, if you qualify to get there, He's not going to kick you out. Amen. There's no record of anybody getting kicked out of heaven. There's a record of a lot of people that aren't going, that think they are. That's the hardest crowd to reach, and that's the religious crowd. It was the ones that put Him on the cross in His day. Because He said, you clean up the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You cross land and sea to make one proselyte, one conversion to your religious organization. And when you do, you make him twice the child of hell as you are. You're going to hell and the people that follow you are going to hell because there's no salvation in what you're teaching and preaching without Jesus. The heart of man is desperately wicked we can acknowledge that part easily but it's also deceitful you say i am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing the testimony of the church of laodicea he said you make me sick and the word for spew you out is vomit in the Greek. I'm not just talking about belching up after too much hot sauce on your taco. I'm talking about becoming so sick it just pours out in volume. He said, that's how sick the put on church makes me. You say I'm rich because all you see is the material you don't see what I'm dealing with or you don't get it at all. I'm increased with goods. Look what God has blessed us with. Honey, He's looking deeper than your stonework and your steeple and your stained glass. He's looking at the heart. And He said, you want my assessment? Well, I'm going to give it to you whether you want it or not. You're poor. You're miserable. You're blind and you're naked. You're not ready for heaven. But you've got one of the biggest churches in town. Filled with religious people. As many as I love, I rebuke. And I chasten. And then here's the love pouring in. Even that church that made him so sick, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous! Therefore, and repent. You know what God is waiting on? A zeal for repentance among His children and among His followers and His people. Because judgment doesn't begin out there. They don't have the light. They need it. They don't have it. And if we're to become the light to them, we're going to have to get something changed in us. That they can see our good works. And what are those works? I gave this to the Salvation Army. I sent this to missions. It's not those works. It's the way we interact with one another in the body. By this, singular. So all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to 
Not one for. Oh, I love you in my heart. I wouldn't do nothing for you. I ain't going to do nothing for you. I don't even give you a second thought after church is over. But I love you in my heart. No, you don't. It's love to one another. When I demonstrate love, Tertullian was the first historian to start writing about this emerging, not the emergent church of today. It's phony and messed up. But this emerging true church of Jesus Christ. And he said of them what he observed. He said, when they meet one another, though they have never met before, they greet one another as if they were family members and as if they had known each other all their life and they embrace one another with love if they are never met before. Because they recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And by this shall all men know that you are truly the followers of Jesus. If you have love one, two, that it's got to be demonstrated. Hallelujah. One another. We were finishing breakfast the other day. and One guy said, I woke up at 437 this morning. And I told them, I said, at 4.37, I was in deep sleep, dreaming that I'd receive Billy Graham's mantle. And they laughed really loud. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Billy Graham's mantle. If it's to reach people for Jesus, then it's not... The question has already been asked. Who's going to be the next Billy Graham? Is it going to be his son? No. No. Is it going to be this one? Going to be No. You know who the next Billy Graham is going to be? The body of Christ that has a compassion and a passion for souls. The anointing is going to fall on us if we ever get a heart like that for souls. God will be with us. Oh, I'm not talking about holding. Don't run out and rent a, rent a big building. Just be a witness for Jesus. I'll tell you what, one man renting a building can never accomplish as much as the body of Christ being a witness wherever they go, wherever they are. There are people that won't go to a Billy Graham crusade, but there's nobody that won't come to work where you work. They're coming, and you're there. And there's an anointing to be a witness for Jesus in this last closing hour. But people with their hearts not pure and not right don't qualify. Today in Holy Communion, I want you to do something. I want us to have a holy, healthy introspect. And say, Lord, search me. And whatever you find that needs addressing in me that is a barrier to your blessing in my life and pleasing you, show me because I am ready to deal with it. I'm ready to be sun-tested. And allow me to say this, ready or not, the summer is coming. And the sun is going to heat things up. Everything and everyone that can be shaken will be shaken. So that that, that remains, that pure remnant, 
may emerge and shine forth. He's not going to come and get us till He shows us off to the world. I went and preached. We're almost done. I went to preach at a church. Invited to preach years ago before I pastored. And I wanted so much to be successful for God, to see souls saved and see Christians revived. And I preached everything I knew and with everything within me and depended on the Holy Ghost and nobody moved and nobody cared. And I was on my way home by myself feeling, you know, I'll, wow. I, I gave him my best sermon. I was sincere. But nobody, it was like water rolling off. A duck's back. And the Lord spoke to my heart, Sean. And he says, you know, I do have a true church. I do have a people that love me and want to serve me. I've always had a people, and I always will have a people. And before I take them, my holy bride out of this world, I'm going to show her off and let the world know. Amen. You know what Paul said? I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus. Can anybody be holy? Can anybody overcome? Can anybody get right and be right with God in this compromising, untoward generation? Absolutely. Hallelujah. And it can be me and it can be you. And we can clear the way. We can clear the way for the blessings of the Lord. Would you bow your head today and let's... Let's pray this in Jesus' name. And would you please serve us someone while we're praying Holy Communion today. Do you know where the trays are, Sister Venable? They're right here. Amen. Terry, would you come? And Brother Willie, would you come? I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. This is the holy moment where decisions will be made. Whether we walk away allowing God to make adjustments and changes, or where we walk away like we have in so many services down through so many years, never asking God, show me my need. Show me my heart. Before we receive communion today, if this occurs, and if we decide when He shows it to us not to feel condemned and, and guilty and awful, but to feel... Lord, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I can do something about this. That I can clear the way for Your deliverance. That You can hear and answer me when I call upon You. And You can use me as a witness. Hallelujah. Oh, what a difference. Somebody is going to allow the Holy Spirit to do this mighty work today and God is going to use you. And He's going to give you back the joy and the peace that you once had and held so dear and precious. And He's going to heal you and deliver you and help you just like He promised because you are opening your heart to Him. Hallelujah. 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 Didn't He restore David? Didn't He allow him to go on 
and become a mighty testimony and witness of God's restorative power in his life. Even before the cross, that kind of repentance allowed for that kind of forgiveness and restoration. Can you imagine in the face of the cross and the Christ who died what he can do and will do in you and me today? Can you imagine? Hallelujah. 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 Father, I praise you. Lord, I thank you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Search us, God. Search us, Lord. Let us be honest and earnest so when the testing comes, we don't fall apart. We don't look back. We don't go back. Help us to go on in you and live out our days with the joy and peace that you provided and that you promised. Lord, we need your healing. We need your help. We can't afford barriers to these provided, purposed, promised blessings. We must have them. Oh, Lord, don't let one person be deceived here today. Don't let one person leave this room with that cluttered heart in the name of Jesus. And help us to go deeper than just the surface. Help us to let you into the back room of our life, into the storeroom, into the storage shed of our life where we've stored things that it's time to get rid of, to get rid of, to get rid of. In Jesus' name, I'm going to pray what I pray most often. It's what David prayed when he confessed his sin before the Lord and the restoration began. It begins with cleansing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. The cry for cleansing is the first cry of a, for the heart to be changed. Hallelujah. Wash me. The first cry, wash me. Wash me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Create in me a clean heart. Everybody say the cry for cleansing. Hallelujah. And renew in me a right spirit. Doesn't matter what someone has done to get you in the wrong spirit. It's about you and God having a transaction. Renew in me a right spirit, O oh God. And something is going to occur in the heart of hearts. It happened in David's heart. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. And it happened in David's life. And it changed and allowed a restoration to come. And his future prayers to be answered. And in spite of all the things the devil tried to hold against him, when God didn't hold anything anymore against him, the devil's accusations never could hurt him any further. And David went on to be known after his heinous sin, confessed like he did with sincerity and authenticity and true repentance, as the, these be the last words of the psalmist David, the, the, the King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And God said, I will call me a man after my own heart. And he picked the man that messed up that bad because he knew if he did, he would repent that good. Can you say, man? Hallelujah.
Is the church of Jesus today ready to repent? That good. Do our hearts need cleansing? Can God show us something and us not cover it up, but us say, thank you, Lord. You love me anyway, but you can't bless me and you want to until I get this out of the way. Thank you. Thank you for showing me. You didn't show this to me as lenient as you love, you rebuke. Thank you for loving me enough to rebuke what's in the way between you and me and my heart. Thank you for cleansing me. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you ready for communion now that we've done a little work with God this morning? Because you know what you're going to drink right now and eat right now? Right now, spiritually, you're going to drink cursing or blessing. No neutral. Not in holy communion. Amen? What did he say about the people that didn't treat this holy and didn't deal with hard attitudes? What did he say? He said, this is the reason. We want no reason. He said, here's the reason. You've got a covenant with God. You've got the right to be healed, to be delivered, to be set free. You've got a covenant with God. But it's not just a faith issue, darling. It's not what we've made it. Just a faith issue. It's a hard issue. He said, search yourself before you do this. Don't be the same person going through the same religious motions without searching yourself. If there's sin, now's the time for the cleansing. This is the place. This is the moment. You know what they were doing? They turned it into a carnal activity. They were bringing bottles of wine and getting drunk. We saw a lady do that. And they used real wine in a communion service. This is grape juice, by the way. You drink ten bottles and have to go to the bathroom, but you won't get drunk. Can you say amen? And they serve real wine. She drunk so much of it on the side, going through this religious thing. She said, oh boy, this is real wine. In other words, I'm so glad to be in church getting an alcoholic beverage. This is not an alcoholic beverage. This is a type of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a holy event. They didn't wait for each other. They brought picnic lunches and they just chowed down. They took all the holy, all the transaction with God away from it. And we could tell you about judgments that have failed, and we've watched it. We are pastors. We have seen a thing or two, and we love you too much not to tell you the truth on Sunday morning. He that takes of this that we're about to do unworthily, it doesn't mean you're worthy of the blood. No one is in this room. It means you're not living in any way as if the blood mattered at all in your life. For this cause, many, not a few, not an aberration, many of you are sick with a covenant of healing.
And many of you sleep, which means die before your time. It's not because God is unfaithful. It's not because Christ hasn't made a provision. With his stripes ye are, ye were healed. If any sick, call who? The elders. The prayer of faith will save the sick. But listen to me. If there's a cause that needs to be dealt with in the heart, it's right there in James 5.14. Can I quote it to you in context so we understand the heart part of this? Not just someone with faith praying for you. There be any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church. See, we, that's good. We do that all the time. Let them anoint us with oil in the name of the Lord, laying hands upon us in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Is he done talking? No. Is there something else? Yes. What is the something else? The thing we've been dealing with all morning long. And if... If standing in the presence of a holy God, receiving the grace, the love, the forgiveness that He offers us, if we repent, if we confess, and if they've committed any sin. And I don't mean just in, I'm talking about attitude, activity, heart, attitude. It shall be what? Right there on the spot. Forgiven. God said, listen. Listen. I want to help you. I want to heal you. I want to deliver you. But you've got to deal with that heart attitude. You're in the presence of a holy God. You're not just sitting in a place designated for church. And these symbolize the greatest grace that there ever could possibly be. Jesus, the innocent, dying for the guilty. And when I take this, I can't hold nothing against nobody no further than this service right here. Because I am receiving the forgiveness of God. And it cost Jesus everything. Hallelujah. So I'm willing for it to cost me my pride, my self-respect, any of those things that anyone counts as something worth hanging on to. And you can have it all. Just, I want to be right with God when I leave this room. I can't do without Him, Brother Terry. My prayers have to be answered for me to have victory in my life. I can't afford any barrier to my blessing. So how many people are willing to say, Lord, wash me with His? Will you say it with me from the heart? If it don't come to the heart, it ain't going to matter. Wash me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew in me a right spirit. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Praise God. You know what you're doing right now? You're ordering your conversation aright. And God is saying you're opening the door for restoration. You're opening the door for my blessings, my help, and my healing. And David saw that door open. <laughs> and he said, you know what? God's, God's going to restore me now. And when he does, and he sees how to truly get right with God, transgressors are going to learn his ways. And sinners are going to be converted unto thee. I'm going to be a witness. Hallelujah. That repentance brings restoration. And they're going to see it. And know my God is the true and living God. 
So when Jesus came on the scene, they honored him and called him son of David because of that lineage. Oh, what grace can do. Hallelujah. What God wants to do and what he will do in you and me. The same night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he tore it in half like his body was about to be torn before he went to the cross and while on it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. You may break the wafer. As often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Not on the donkey riding into Jerusalem. Not on the bow of the ship speaking to the wind and rain. Not healing the leopard man and the blind man. Not teaching on the shores of Galilee. Not turning the water to wine or feeding the five thousands with a few fish and loaves. But remember me on the cross taking your place. You may eat the bread in remembrance. The third cup of the Passover meal is the cup of redemption. He picked it up. Messianic Jewish scholars said, It had to be that cup because it was a type and foreshadow of Jesus to come and He was there. This is the new covenant in My blood which is shed for the sins of many. As often as you drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And here we are 2,100 years after that event, taking the cup and proclaiming, I am saved. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. I am saved because of His shed blood. And we're proclaiming to everyone who sees or hears of us doing this. And you can be saved too. Hallelujah. You may drink the cup today. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. How many believe you've been to church today? We only have one service, so we have to cover a lot of ground. In fact, some of the sermons have two titles. You know why that is? Because a lot of times we we have a double doozy. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because God wants us to not have a little dabble do your attitude. How many want the door open for your prayer life? How many want the joy and the peace? And the power of the Holy Spirit to move freely within us. Praise God. Amen.